Every health system leader has executive management challenges facing their organization. This show supports leaders in addressing those challenges with cutting-edge information, leading strategies, and sharing best practices. Listen in and gain keen insight as industry leaders share their stories. The Baldridge Foundation welcomes you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Welcome to another episode of Leader Dialogue brought to you by the Malcolm Baldridge Foundation and our sponsor, About Healthcare. I'm Roger Spoolman, and as always, I'm really honored to be joined by some friends of mine, Ben Sawyer, Darren Vercello, and Dr. Chuck Peck. And uh, Chuck is my co-host. If you're listening to us often, you'll know uh, that. But Dr. Darren Vercello and Ben are executives with About Healthcare. So welcome, guys. It's good to be back with you. Good morning. Good to see you, yeah, too, Good to Roger. be here, Roger. Great, great. Well, I'm particularly excited about today's podcast because we've been talking a lot about the challenges that that healthcare leaders are facing right now and burnout is a significant problem we've talked a lot about it and probably some of you are burned out from us talking about burnout but uh, it's really not we're not done with it yet because it's such an extraordinary difficult problem and uh, a few years ago I found a book that had an amazing title, and it's it's called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge by Dr. Clay Scroggins. And I'll introduce Clay in just a minute. But um, I just was so taken with that title because when I was active in healthcare and leading healthcare, I just found so many people who were frustrated about not having the authority to lead, but the desire to lead. And so Clay's book just really spoke to me. And as, uh, as I told him, I've given away hundreds of copies of this book to leaders in, in the uh, health systems that I've had the privilege of leading over the last several years. I always love subtitles, and his subtitle is Leveraging Influence When You Lack Authority. So Clay Scroggins, Dr. Clay Scroggins, who's also, he's been a pastor, a teacher, a leader, a speaker, an author, uh, an industrial engineer, (laughs) and a dad, uh, and a bunch of other stuff that's really important. But Clay, thank you so much for being willing to talk with us today. I'm so glad to get to be here, Roger. And uh, I just think that uh, the way you all are attempting to serve people through interviews like this, I think, is uh, says a lot about you, and it's remarkable. So I'm just really grateful to get to be uh, for you to take your your light and give me a little moment to be able to talk about what I'm so passionate about talking about. Oh, great, great, thanks. Well, let's get started. Um, you know. What a what a great thing to write a book like this, but then to have uh, the foreword written by a guy like Andy Stanley, who says, you know, every leadership team needs to read this book. And I know he means that sincerely because you worked with him for many years. But, um, you know, he says, if you want to build a leadership culture in your organization, you should make this book required reading for everyone on your team. Well, that's high praise from a guy uh, like Andy Stanley. Um, and. Clay, what, you're a pastor. You've been a pastor. You're now doing this full-time, expanding Correct. your leadership influence. You know, you have a lot of sports references and a lot of scriptural references. And so what, is, what does that say to us as healthcare leaders and to our audience who are, who are trying to deal with some of these things in healthcare? Well, yeah, and I, I, would, uh, I would echo what you said, that there are, um, 
I, I, I wrote this from a pastoral perspective because that's who I am, you know, in the same way, it would be like saying to one of you, Hey, write a book on leadership and don't use any medical examples. you right. You know, that would be really tough to do. Yeah. Um, but certainly, you know, my hope is that the principles of the book are true in whatever field that you work in. I, I um, which I believe that the way leadership, the way influence, the way authority works is that these, you know, there are principles that we can learn or that we can uh, either leverage or fight against even. And in a way, they're, they're business agnostic. They really fit in any industry, healthcare, in the clergy, uh, in academia. Uh, and so for those of you listening, I clearly do not claim to know a whole lot about what you do, but I'm hoping that you bring your context and I'm going to offer some principles of leadership today. And through that, maybe we'll find some context that might lead to some uh, growth in all of us. That's certainly what I'm hoping for. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we'll get there. And, and you know, I think all of us need to take a sort of a holistic look at this, and we need to look everywhere we can to find help, because these problems are particularly difficult and thorny. We've got some leaders who are now well-trained, really well-trained in their particular field of influence and study, and uh, they're quitting. They're quitting their jobs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there are a lot of frustrations that have led to this, uh, this sense. And, and I'm sure you're finding this as you speak. You know, we talk, we've talked a bit about the great resignation. And mm-hmm. um, so how have you, you know, really kind of taken this concept of leading when you're not in charge and applied that to as an antidote maybe to the great resignation? Well, everyone wants to feel like what they're working on matters and that their voice matters, that they have the ability to make change. They have the ability, the opportunity to move people to do what they might not want to do to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And that's really the foundation of this book is it's in all of our DNA. I think it really is baked into our DNA as a human to want to be working on something, you know, where I'm going to spend more time working than I'm going to spend doing just about anything else. And so i if I'm going to do that, I may as well do it in such a way that it matters, that it makes a difference, that it moves something forward. I think it's in us as humans to want to do that, to want to grow something, build something, uh, move ideas forward, see something progress and develop. And that um, the options that we end up finding when we're relying on authority to do that, when we're relying on a position, or if I was only the leader of the hospital or the leaders of all of the medical team that I work on, or if I could only get these patients to do exactly what I say to do because I have all the credentials for them to do that. Um, if we rely on that, we end up finding pretty quickly that that's not the way leadership works. There's been plenty of people who've had a lot of authority who were not great leaders. And there have been plenty of people who didn't have the title to do what they did and yet still figured out a way to move people to do what they might not have wanted to do to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. And that the essence of that really is building influence. It's the ability to cultivate influence. And some of that comes from the credibility of our education. Some of that comes from our experience, but I've found that a lot more has to do with the way we're, the way we're leading, the way we're operating, the way we're uh, living this life. Uh, And we have this opportunity to cultivate influence, uh, whether we have authority or whether we don't. Yeah, Darren. Clay, so great to have you uh, on with us today. And uh, as you as you just spoke about what you did, the uh, memories of uh, the book "If I Ran the Zoo" kind of came to mind. But uh, <laughs> um, can you still use Dr. Seuss books as a, as an example? On, on we will not cancel you, Darren. We <laughs> That's a great title. 
So, um, you know, it's so interesting. What, what you just said is, is so applicable and germane to many of the organizations that we work with um, as uh, from the about healthcare side, as we work on access and orchestration of patient care within hospital systems. And healthcare systems and hospitals are just inherently so hierarchical. If you uh, are in the leadership team, obviously you have the influence, you have a seat at the table. If you happen to be maybe the lead neurosurgeon and you're not in the um, leadership team, you can go to that team and say, hey, this is what I want and get it done. But l let's say you're tasked with a project like uh, bringing up a um, an access and orchestration strategy, a transfer center, a patient flow strategy within the organization, or you see that need and you want to tackle it and get things done, you have great ideas, you're working with an organization like About Healthcare, um, and you want to bring something in only to get stonewalled at some point by your technology group within your organization who says, you know what, we've invested $500 million right. in you know, our EHR, that's all the only group we'll work with. Yep. So tell me, how do you, how do you empower that mid-tier manager who has big aspirations and a strategy they want to bring forward and help them understand how they can move that project forward despite the headwinds that face them? Darren, I, um, I love practical questions like that. So thanks for bringing so much context. But uh, that is that is such a great example of why this matters so deeply, because it's not impossible. There are times when we get stonewalled. There are times when we get the answer no. Um, part of it is learning how to reframe no to uh, not now or maybe later, uh, but learning how to not give up and say, hey, all right, I'm, I'm not going to accept this as the final answer. I'm going to find a new approach. But I think we also have to look in the mirror and go, all right, what am I doing that's working and what am I doing that's not working? Which I think is a very basic question for all of us to figure out today is all of our behaviors are contributing to our influence or they're costing us influence. And so we have to pay attention. You know, we have to take all that frustration, all that discouragement, and we have to decide, all right, I'm going to look in the mirror. You know, Michael Jackson said, I'm going to start with the man in the mirror. And we got to start there and say, well, I'm going to try to figure out what am I doing that's working and what am I doing that's not working? Because again, people with a far, far less authority, with uh, less ability, with less resources even perhaps have accomplished great things by learning to cultivate more influence. So that's really what led me to write this book is I felt stuck in the middle of an organization. I felt stuck in the hierarchy of an organization. I felt like I got more bosses that I know what to do with. And every time I would, I would get a promotion. So I would get more authority. And then I would think, ah, now's the moment. Now that I have my boss's job, now I can get everybody to do what I finally want them to do. And I just quickly learned, oh, that is not the way leadership works. That, that I call it the gun, wielding the gun of authority. You know, if you were to say, hey, I'm the boss, everybody listen to me and do exactly what I say. People will do that in the short term, but you will not cultivate followers that way. That's one of the reasons why people are resigning from their jobs, because they are tired of working for people that say, hey, I quit asking why and just go do the job. No, people want to know, why does this matter? Tell me what's behind all this. Tell me where we're going. There's this ancient proverb that says, when there is no vision, the people will perish. That's a really powerful statement that when the leader is not 
able to or not casting in a vision for it. Hey, let me just say, here's where we're going and here's why we're doing it. People will eventually give up and go, all right, well, I just don't want to do that anymore. So learning how to lead up, learning how to lead our peers, and even learning how to lead with this same kind of influence, I think is the key hallmark for not just leaders of today, but it's going to be the key hallmark for future leaders, the leaders of tomorrow as well. So I think we begin by looking in the mirror. We begin by going, all right, what can I do to become a person that has more influence than I currently have? That is a perfect segue. I really wanted you to talk about this, about section two in your book, the four behaviors. And that's really the first one, isn't it, Clay? It's lead yourself. Any other insights you have about how somebody stuck in that position that Darren described? And, and we could think of a lot of different scenarios, but they want, they aspire to be leaders and they aspire that's to right. do more. And how do you start leading yourself? And And I've Honestly, just my insight, I've used this as I've coached and mentored people in that position. Mm. And, and I would say, lead yourself. I give them a copy of the book. I said, what are you doing right now? What actions are you taking to be a leader in your sphere of influence? It may not be up, but it's around you. So go ahead. Well, tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, we all know the frustration of trying to lead someone who's not leading himself or herself. I mean, it is impossible. I mean, it is about like, you know, my... I have a father-in-law who's in the medical medical profession. He's an internist. And, uh, you know, that's one of the more frustrating things for a doctor, I'm sure, is when you prescribe a path to healing, a path to recovery, and the patient won't participate in it. I mean, it's got to be maddening to go, you know, and I, that, that Jordan Peterson study that he references in the 12 habits or the 12 uh, rules for life, where he says that people are more likely to take their pet to the vet to get their pet their medication and to administer medication to their pet than they are to do that for themselves. The first place we have to start leading, the, the primary responsibility we have in leadership is to lead the person that I am most responsible to lead. The person that I have the most influence and the most control over is to start leading myself. And I really see the step one in leading yourself well is figuring out exactly where you are. It's seeking feedback. It's the willingness to go, all right, if I'm going to get to where I want to be, I have to start where I am. And I've got to know exactly where I am. I have to know what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my blind spots? What are the things that are cultivating influence for me? And what are the things that are costing me influence? I think it's um, that courageous move we make to invite other people into that prod into that process of, hey, help me to see the things that I can't see. Help me to understand what it is I don't understand. I mean, self-awareness is the foundation of every virtue that we know of. And so it begins with being having a PhD on understanding yourself, knowing exactly where I am so that I can begin to create a plan to lead myself, um, whether I'm being well-led or not. And that's the great news of this, is yeah. that if you lead yourself well, you will always be well-led. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah, Chuck, you have a comment? No, I, I just wanted to ask Clay a question. So, uh, Clay, I'm curious, um, you know, we, we like to, on this podcast, we like, like to give people um, some examples or some best practices. And I'm wondering if you, as you know, as I'm a big fan of Jim Collins and Good to Great. And, yeah. um, you know, he looked at so many organizations, good, bad, and otherwise. And you know, a lot of leadership books and a lot of management books tend to do that. They look at what makes the difference between a great yep. organization and a, 
uh, a failing organization. I'm just curious, without necessarily mentioning names, do you have any examples of organizations or specifically organizational cultures that allow people to flourish by, uh, by allowing them to be empowered, to have influence? And what does that look like? Because I, I fear that a lot of the people listening are in organizations or have been their entire careers that haven't allowed this. And so they don't really know what it looks like. Well, that, I, I would definitely start there. I, I would say, hey, there, I would, I would caution people to say, well, I work for an organization where this is not possible. I think that is the symptom of the problem. That if you start by saying, I can't cultivate influence because no one will let me do it. An, an alarm should go off in our minds, in our heart, in our soul to go, I've already forfeited it then. I've already lost my opportunity. That I don't, I don't care how bad your boss is, how toxic your culture is in your organization, there is an opportunity today for you to cultivate more influence for yourself, whether you're in charge or not. And you have to believe that. And if you do believe that you're in a position where you'd say, well, hey, listen, you have no idea the, how toxic the organization is that I work in, then go get another job, go work somewhere else. Life's too short, it's not worth it. Go do something different. But I would really, I would be careful for anyone to leave before you've done everything you know to do to cultivate more influence for yourself. And so I would start there. I would start to say, okay, well, what am I doing to cultivate more influence for myself? I would figure out, am I leading myself as well as I can lead myself? Do I have crystal clear clarity on where I am? Have I asked people? Have I been willing to ask the question, hey, what is it like to be on the other side of me? That's a scary question. None of us really want to know the answer to it. We want to know the answer to that, but we're unwilling to often ask that question because of how scary the answer may be. So it's learning to detach the feedback from who I am as a person and recognize that what people are saying does not label me, does not have to mark me. And then it's saying, all right, I'm going to choose a different kind of attitude. I'm going to choose to be positive, even in the midst of toxicity, which is so hard to do. We are hardwired to stay within the pack. And so if you're in a hard spot and you feel like everybody I work around is negative, everybody's like, oh, that will never happen here. The boss isn't listening. They're never paying attention. We don't have the money for it. We don't have the budget for it. They've already got the contract. They've already got the plan. If you're going to start with that and you're going to lead out on hope and positivity and a can-do attitude and anything is possible, forward-thinking, optimistic, uh, hope-filled attitude, if you're going to lead out that way, you're going to feel like a loner. And so you got to know that you got to know, all right, if I start feeling alone or I'm, you know, running away from the pack, uh, that's common because I think it's in our DNA to want to stay close to the pack. And then I think it's learning the skill of thinking critically, learning the skill of bringing value, of connecting things and questioning things and being able to put some thought into every meeting you walk into before you walk into that meeting. It's learning how to not just show up for the meeting, but learning how to lead a meeting, even if you're not leading the meeting and you don't do it in a way that's a hostile takeover or that's disrespectful or that's, you know, some power play. No, you can do it in a way that is supporting others, that is helping others, that is contributing in a selfless kind of way, but in a way that where you're showing up prepared, ready to bring value to what it is you're working on. And then lastly, I would say it's about rejecting passivity. It's about knowing that when you're not in charge, the easiest thing to do is to become passive. 
because being in charge does bring uh, the, the feeling of control. It's a mirage. None of us are in control. You're not any more in control when you're the boss than if you're just on the team. But when we're not the boss, it's just so much easier to feel passive and to become passive. It, it bakes into us like a cheese and macaroni. And so we've got to be really careful to reject that, really intentional about saying, I'm not going to become passive because of my lack of authority. So organizations that I've seen that are doing that well, that are giving people the ability to lead themselves well, that are uh, celebrating people who are choosing positivity, that are recognizing people who are thinking critically and then giving people permission to reject passivity are the outliers. Most organizations are not doing that, but it doesn't mean it's not possible. Just because you have a hard boss doesn't mean you can't get something great done. Loads of people have done it before and you can do it today. Clay, you just blew through those four <laughs> behaviors, and uh, which I love, you know, but I'd love to go back and unpack them just a little bit. And I think that all of us who, and you obviously are very well read in a variety of topics, which I love. That's, you know, again, I want every one of our readers, our listeners to read this book, get this book and read it because it's just packed with so much good stuff, great stories, personal stories. But, but you know, most of the concepts are that are most helpful are the ones that are the simplest and they just seem sort of disarmingly uh, and almost embarrassingly simple. So when you say lead yourself, you know, think about that. That's, that's a real activity. That is a genuine legitimate decision that you have to make as a leader. I'm going to lead myself. Well, the second one that you talked about is, is lead, you know, choose positivity, choose to be positive. Well, they think, well, doesn't everybody? No, everybody doesn't choose. In fact, we're surrounded by toxic people. So, you know, talk about choosing positivity and choosing not to be a toxic person and the influence that that has on organizations. Well, the the hardest time it is to choose positivity for me is when someone has made a decision on my behalf that I didn't get to weigh in on, but I'm being asked to execute. And everybody knows what that feels like. Every, I can't imagine how many decisions are made in a hospital that you didn't get to weigh in on, but you're being asked to buy in on. I remember in The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni reading that statement that when you give people the opportunity to weigh in, they're more likely to buy in, which I thought, wonderful. Absolutely. I mean, of course, that's terrific. That's how our country was founded, right? We didn't Mm -hmm. like that England was taxing us without giving us representation. And so we threw all the tea into the harbor there and said, enough's enough. We're not going to do this anymore. We all want the opportunity to weigh in. And when we weigh in, we are more likely to buy in, even if we end up disagreeing with the decision. Unfortunately, that rarely happens. Unfortunately, the majority of our lives is spent executing decisions that we didn't get to weigh in on. And the question is, well, how do we do that? How do we learn how to choose positivity when someone else has made a decision that we think is just asinine or makes no sense? And the truth is more important than making the right decision is learning how to own the decision that's been made, whether you got to speak into it or not. The greatest organizations in the world are not the greatest organizations in the world because they have the best ideas. They're the best organizations because they have everybody leaning into the same idea. And that power of unity is is so remarkable. The, The problem is we want everyone else to unify to our idea and it's so much more difficult to unify around someone else's idea. But even, even bad ideas can work, bad plans can work, bad processes can unfortunately work when everybody gets behind it and works together to accomplish it. And so that's, what, that's why choosing positivity, though on its 
at face value might seem to your point, simplistic or bubblegum. I had, I had a friend who, when I first passed this to him, he said, eh, it just feels a little bubblegum. Um, wow, I have never forgotten that. But he's right. He is totally right. It is. It's simplistic almost, but it is powerful and simple because it's hard to do. And most people don't do it. It's easy to choose positivity when everything's going your way and when everyone's actually moving your way. But it's much harder when we're having to execute in areas where we didn't get to weigh in. But those are the times where it's most important. Well, you know, you that kind of moves into your comment about thinking critically, but without being critical. You know, that yeah. it, it really is the next iteration. And I and I knew this was going to happen. I knew we were going to run out of time. And, you know, because I'd like to really unpack a lot of these things. And, and, you know, again, finishing up with rejecting passivity. You know, a lot of people, you know, in very difficult situations, sit back and, and uh, they throw their hands up in the air and they say, well, mm -hmm. I'm not in charge. I can't decide. So there's nothing I can do about it. And, and I, I love your comment. Listen, and, and I've said this many times, we can help you find your next job so that you can be unhappy there. But you're, there's, <laughs> it's not an option to be unhappy here because you unfortunately only don't only affect yourself, you affect everyone else. We're, you've metastasized in our organization. We want to mm -hmm. stop this. Darren, save you know, me here. Yeah, no, I, this is so great. And I appreciate the fact that you're you're going there because, and 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 Clay, I, I really appreciate the fact that you've looked at this from both sides. On the one hand, just the concept of how to lead when you're not the leader or how to have influence when you're not the one at the head of the table is, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and find the way to lead when you may not think you have the influence. But on the flip side, of that you're espousing that idea that as leaders um, we should give that opportunity we should create that environment and that's beneficial to all involved and is going to make the high-powered organization I'm sure Chuck it deals with that sort of thing all the time as he's coaching organizations through to success but no thank you for taking it from both sides be that person but create that environment as well yeah. Well, I think it's the great it's the great flip of it, you know, that uh, we, we think, oh, well, this is something I've got to learn when I'm not in charge. But the truth is that we even when we become in charge, we will learn at that point. Have I leveraged influence to get here or have I been waiting on authority? I remember when I was 21 years old, I interned at the state capitol in Georgia and we had gotten a new uh, we had a new governor at the time. And so there was a big you know, change in regimes and. Uh, I remember the, 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 the desk I sat at was right next to the conference room where they were making policy. I'll never forget this tense meeting where there were, you know, a dozen people in there that were talking about uh, maybe education reform. And I heard someone banging on the table and said, I am the governor of the state of Georgia. Listen to me. And I remember at the time, I mean, I had never read a leadership book. I hadn't been to a leadership conference. I probably at the time, I don't even know what I would have said to define leadership. But I knew at the time, I remember thinking, uh-oh, something's broken. Someone is relying on authority to try to get people to move. And you will find out when you become in charge whether or not you have cultivated influence or not. And so that's the great, that's why this is so important today. Because it doesn't exactly matter just for the job you're in now. It matters for the rest of your career. But if you can learn how to lead when you don't have authority, you will become such a better leader Amen. even when you have authority. Yeah. And so that's what I love about these concepts is there is a, as you said, Darren, there's kind of a, a twist in it. Flip. Chuck, do you have a quick comment? We're going to wrap up. But... Yeah, no, I just, I just wanted to go back to the friend of Clay's who used the bubble gum. 
uh, make the bubblegum comment, because I think that's a great metaphor, Clay. So, you know, people chew bubblegum and they, they, you know, they, t- they chew it for a few minutes and then the, 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 you know, the taste goes away. So what do they do? They spit it out. Right. And I think that we've got to figure out a way to, you know, continue to reinvigorate the taste of that bubblegum, because I think that's that's sort of a metaphor for, you know, people in these positions. Right. They they're mm, they're in the organization. Great. They come in, they're super excited. And then after a period of time, the taste goes away. And so how do we you know, how do we get them reinvigorated with with the taste again? And and I think a lot of the things you're offering as potential ways to do that are really important. That's well, great. yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, that was an extension of a metaphor. That was excellent, Chuck. Thank you. I would just say, you know, to the person today that's listening that maybe feels discouraged or disappointed or maybe even thinking about resigning or doing something different, you know, the, the answer might be you need to resign. I, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to take that off the table, but I would also just say what you're doing today matters so deeply. Again, not because you're in the healthcare industry. I mean, I, I really believe healthcare uh, professionals are heroes in our culture and our society, but even beyond that, Uh, It matters so deeply for the rest of your career because you are learning how to cultivate more influence. You know, sometimes when life gets hard, uh, we think, oh, I need to go do something different. But the truth of it is that when life gets hard, when we experience resistance, that's when strength is built. I mean, that's how that's how our body actually works. You know, who am I to be telling you that? But we we grow, we build that muscle of influence in some of the most difficult positions. And so if it feels challenging or difficult, you are growing something you're developing something that i guarantee you you will use for the rest of your life and that's why today matters way more than we could even understand clay thank you so much i knew we'd run out of time we have um i (laughs) wanted to talk about your new book your new project coming out in january if it's okay with you we're going to put that in the show notes great and uh, and also information on you and how people can get in touch with you you're on all the socials and we'll put that in the show notes as well. And uh, we just want to thank you and remind our audience they've been listening in on our conversation with Dr. Clay Scroggins, a great author, speaker, just a fun guy and with a lot of important things to hear. And I hope that you engage with him and get him into your leadership teams for a, a retreat or seminar. Uh, that's what I'd be doing. So Clay, again, thank you so much. We appreciate yeah, you taking you. time out of your very busy schedule. And thank you to my co-conspirators here. As usual, it's been a pleasure. And uh, that's it for us. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>